Are you uh, you ready to do this? You want to do this, dude? Yeah, dude, I'm ready. I'm out, dude. <laughs> oh, yeah. Welcome, everybody, to Dreams and Discourse, the only podcast where it's this one. Uh, We're here today with uh, Killian. You may know him from being the only bassist in metal. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Oh, man. How would would you describe uh, what you do? Um. Yeah, I guess I am like a session prog bass player, if like that's like the most like, you know, simple way of putting it. But yeah, I, I try to do all the low end chung chungs and slappity slappities and the tappity tappities and the weedly weedlies. <laughs> and you're quite good at the the slappity slappies and tappies and weedlies. Uh, thank you. I, you know, you, you gotta you gotta try. So that's, so that's my specifically, try. you refer to yourself as a session bassist. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm, I obviously love my bands and I'm a band member, but, like, when I'm here at home in Massachusetts, like, I do local theater work, I do tribute gigs, I do that, I do sessions for other people. So, like, I obviously am, like, in Scale the Summit, I'm in Abiotic, I'm in Ladder Math, and I'm a part of that. Like, I'm, I make decisions within the band, I can veto things within, like, a democratic process within those things, but... Um, you know, whenever those bands aren't doing something active or I'm not on tour, I'm always like looking for bass work and stuff like that. So I, I definitely do a lot of local work and stuff like that. So that maybe that I don't right. post as much about, but yeah. So like, especially locally around here. Dude, that's awesome. I had no idea you were working with local theaters and stuff. Yeah, man. It's, it's been honestly like, so growing up, I didn't like musical theater and like, to be honest with you, it's not something I would listen to in my free time. I'm not like, singing, you know, Les Miserables or Chicago or stuff like that. <laughs> but it kind of fell into my lap. I was just, uh, I'd recently graduated music school and uh, basically this guy, you know, he I needed to make rent and he was like, hey, can you read? And I could in the, thin, yeah. in the thinnest stretch of the definition of could, meaning like I know what the notes are on the page, but like I had to like fake it. But I'm kind of surprised by that, actually. I feel like... Of all places, like Berkeley would kind of ram that down your throat. I mean, it's more, there's a difference between like I can read music. What, what I could read music, but sight read, meaning like oh yeah, like oh, they give you God. the sheet music and you're with other musicians playing and like one, two, three, four count off. You're you're reading with yeah. the page because I wasn't classically trained. I, I mean, I, I took lessons growing up and did all that, but like you know, like when you play cello, you learn to read as you're learning cello with electric right. bass. I was kind of learning how to read, but remember as a teenager that, you know, was playing to be in bands and stuff like that. So as much as I had the discipline to do it, it wasn't something that was like my strong point. So okay, okay. I, I faked it enough and um, I did a production of Rent in Jamaica Plains. It's actually a place called the Footlight Club, which is the oldest community theater in the United States. Actually. What did you say? The Footlight Club? The foot, Footlight Club. Footlight. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but it was <laughs> it's, it's a very, very long club with uh, five rooms at the end. Yeah, all right. Um, 
<laughs> sorry. No, it's all good, dude. It's just, it's just a creepy foot fetish club, yeah. Um, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. We've already gotten silly. Um, but, yeah, no. but it was dope, man. And, like, now, that was in 2011. And ever since then, I've done, like, at least, like, 50, 60 different productions, different plays, everything from Shrek, the musical. Wow, yeah, there's a whoa, Shrek whoa, the musical. Whoa, 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 oh yeah, whoa, whoa. I've done Shrek yeah, we like need to talk about that right now. I've done Shrek like four times, and it's actually are like, you serious? Yeah, yeah, it's fun. It's actually a really fun book because the music isn't that hard, and there's like a lot of like funk stuff and rock stuff. But yeah, oh, like, God. and yes, we do end with uh, there is somebody we do you do play that one. Yes, All Star, you mean? Yeah, yeah, All Star. There is a little oh, section. Oh my God. <laughs> Dude, if you do that again without telling me and I don't see it, I will be devastated. <laughs> Next time, like, I'm, I'll wait till there's like an actual production and be like, there your weekend. You're coming up. <laughs> Dude, legit, please. please. I, ju- I just hear like the one grown man in the audience, like, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> do they have, do you, does the band dress like Shrek? <laughs> That'd be so good. No. no, we we it's a you wear all blacks because you're in the pit. So like you're trying to be oh, as yeah. invisible as you can. Um, right. Some, some theaters right, are right. cool. You're like literally in a separate room altogether where you have TV monitors and you're wearing headphones and that's how you're playing with it. It's really kind of crazy. But wow. other ones you're like literally within a pit and you have a monitor, but you're underneath the stage. There was once. It yeah, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there was a crazy one though. We were in the lighting rafters. Uh, behind the No stage. fucking way. Seriously? Yeah, so like it was actually kind of a bitch because I had to like, luckily I didn't bring a big rig because I go DI, but I had to like yeah. have like the band leader and hoist my bass amp and then my, my bass and stuff like that. So. Dude, I would be fucking just shitting my pants. <laughs> like I would be losing my mind. I am like so afraid of heights. It like, was a, it I, was- I couldn't do it. I straight up couldn't do it. I so the thing was the heights weren't that much because it was very secure area with like a like a like a what do you call it like a yeah a barrier. I mean I I've been up in like lighting rafters and theaters yeah. and stuff. But the, grudgingly, the la- the ladders though. I'm with you on ladders. I'm not oh. ladders and no <laughs> no. Yeah, dude. Especially like, like it's nice to have a ladder that has a little bit of like of a like a a decline. But yeah. just like a straight ladder for like 25 feet. Or no, 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 no. I'm not doing it. I'm Dude, sorry. We just don't need the light bulb change. Like that's just going to be a thing that we're just going to live in darkness now. Cause that's, that's fucking. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going to invest in candles before I invest in the medical bills from fucking falling off that ladder. Oh yeah, no, but I'm with you. So I like don't mind heights if they're secure heights. So like, like let's say like being on top of a building where like, or in, I'm on his hall building or like whatever, but like, yeah. like, like, like I could never go like mountain climbing. I could never do like ladders, like especially or like, like pre- precarious right. heights. Nah, I'm with you with that. Like precarious heights are like, Dude, it's like so illogical for like straight up. Um, uh, I went to, it was like a, like the science center, I think in Philadelphia or something. Um, they were doing like this little like stargazing night. I went with my, my partner and, um, (laughs) like just normal building, normal building. I was freaking out like safe as hell. 
just middle of the roof, like, you know, a good 25 feet from the edge all around me. And I was just like, I'm going to, I'm going to die. I'm gonna, <laughs> dude, I can't do it. No, dude, I hate it, it so it, much. You know what? It's, it's, it's honestly way more logical. I know that, I know that you think it's more logical, but like, yeah, man, heights are, heights are kind of a freaky thing. And like, I mean, I, I yeah, I guess instinctually we are kind of built to be like, I'll die if <laughs> I do that. I just remember oh, one time no we, we, had, we had to cross. I forget. It was You were in the van with us. It was on that ladder math tour and we had to cross <laughs> a bridge. We had to cross a bridge, but I remember you just holding Tony and being like, and Tony's just like, he's like, God, Tony, help me out, Tony. And Tony's dude. like, please, you're going to be okay, dude. Like, as, you know, like yeah. that tired Tony look of trying to comfort you in some way. <laughs> And it was just, it was so beautiful. I wonder if Tony's getting more rest during, during this quarantine stuff than he, usual. He actually has. I, I'm really happy for him. He's, I've been checking in on him. He's doing well. For those uninitiated, we're talking about uh, the abiotic drummer and also a math drummer and like uh, visual musical genius man, Anthony LaSimone. Yeah. And he's, uh, he's our baby boy. We've all done many a, a sleepless night on tour with that man. And, uh, yes. dude, I keep seeing videos from, from tour and stuff of just me interacting with Tony and just feeling <laughs> so guilty. <laughs> just <laughs> annoying the living crap out of this poor, like tired at the end of his rope, man. I, I but, told, uh, yeah. I, I somebody's got to do it. So for the podcast who's here, so Tony had a Tony song and the rhythm goes So it got to the point. So the song is, oh my God, it's Tony. Here he comes, here he comes. But it got to the point where if I was I did it once and it, it worked. I tapped it on the while I was driving and I go And he goes like, No, stop, 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 stop. <laughs> So I tapped the rhythm and he's like, you're, you're stopping that immediately. And I'm like, I can't, the rhythm is so PTSD for. <laughs> yeah, dude. It's incredible how deeply ingrained that it, like he gets furious. <laughs> <about> it. <laughs> it so uh, funny. He's our baby boy. I love that Here man. Here he comes. Here he comes. <laughs> well, we, we're already completely off track from <laughs> That's where I was trying to be. No, it's all good. Though. Uh, but yeah, Shrek, Shrek the musical Shrek. is a thing, and I will let you know. It's of also, course, let's let's get back on track to Shrek. Yeah, no, but it, it's a lot of it's a lot of fun, honestly, in that book. But yeah, like um, it that's one of the things that I've, I've been doing here, in Mass, and like yeah, like um, yeah, a ton of them like all over the place. You know, uh, some kids productions, but a lot of adult, like you know, professional or semi-professional actors, like. Uh, we did one, I do one at the Lynn Arts Center that's really popular. And we did a, this play, it's called Assassins. It's a musical about all the people that tried to kill the presidents. And then there's another really good, it's a really good play, by the way. And then um, a little shop, wow. little shop of horrors I've done like six times, which is fun. Cause that yeah. book, that book is super easy to sight read. And it's just fun. Especially if you do it with good actors, with good props, stuff like that. It's a lot of fun. You know, it's, it's ho- all that stuff to me is a little hokey, but like the commitment those people put into the art, like even for something that's like a town theater or like a regional theater, they put right. their like they really put all out in acting chops and singing. So my respect for the the yeah. genre is super high. Even if I don't personally listen to it like for entertainment, my respect for people that work in theater because like 
it's just high because yeah. those people grind. Like they, they really, dude, it's wild, man. Like theater, it really feels like when you're getting close to a production, like nothing else exists. Yeah. Like it's, it's just like this show is happening and I don't care about anything. Like, I feel like the theater post show depression is so much worse than like any other like post tour. I don't know. That's what I've found at least. I, I kind of come in, so I don't do the full rehearsals because they assume that we are good enough at reading. So we're only there for, ah. for like a sit. So yeah, I don't do the full like three month like rehearsals into it. I do the week gotcha. before the show, like usually like two or three rehearsals and then a sits probe and then we do the run. It's, I've even done oh, it. Wow. Okay. The, the cool thing, which, and I'm proud of myself for this, and just because, of, you know, it's something, again, I didn't grow up, but I've cold, I've cold read a show before, and I got through it. Oh, my God. Meaning, like, I didn't know, I didn't have time to study the music. The guy's like, here, I need a sub for today. I can't send you the music. And I was able to cold sight read it. And again, this is like a super not ideal oh scenario. Oh, I remember once, it was so funny. There's a, actually one of the most prog shows, and this is going to sound really funny, but that's hard sight reading wise because a lot of time, time signature and key changes is uh, legally blonde. So I remember like the guy, <laughs> so like I remember I subbing in for this kid and I'm like doing, like I'm doing it, but like, I'm like, you know, I'm that meme of that kid with the vein in his forehead. You know what I mean? Like we like this red. <laughs> Like, it's like that, that kid, like, yo, I'm not having a good time. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm getting, I, I'm getting through it. Like, I, I, I definitely didn't fuck up. I wasn't the weakest link or anything, but it was definitely yeah. stress eddy. And then on the last page in pencil, he goes like, sorry, Killian. <laughs> he, like, literally <laughs> read it. <laughs> he, like, literally read it. I, like, I turned the last page. It's the, fit, the, the, entra- the entract or whatever. And then, like, I go there and it's just like, yo, you're the best, homie. Sorry about that. <laughs> Love people like ever. Dude, that's that's sick. At least he gave you a little shout out there. Yeah, he he understood. He's like, oh man, cold reading. This is gonna be a bitch for him. So like, he, he understood. I just even the concept of that is is very frightening. Props to you, I, Mr. I, Berkeley boy. Thanks, man. Honestly, it's just it was one of those fake it till you make it. Now I feel confident I can do it. But like when I first right. started doing that. I was absolutely the person that fucked up the most. And then luckily, <laughs> right. because I just didn't get fired and enough people thought I was chill enough to keep doing it, then I got okay at it. And now I consider myself an okay sight reader. Like, But like, if you put stuff with like a bunch of like ghost notes and syncopation, I'll still be like, hold on, hold the fuck up. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, But that's human, like, especially if you start going above like middle C and like, you know, or E or F or G. Like if you got to like, if you're a douchebag and start doing like, five ledger lines, I'm just going to be like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not a cellist, yeah. you know what I mean? I can do it, but you got to <laughs> let me practice it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I guess, speaking of which, like, do you use your your six strings for that? Or are you... So for, for musical theater, a lot of times I use uh, five strings. So okay. I'll sometimes, if, I, if it's like a more like 70s era production, like an old school one, I'll bring uh, like a P bass or something like that. But honestly, what I've been using a lot are my Kiesel JBs. And um, I did a run. What, what was it? I think I did Godspell or something like that. I did it with uh, a new Thanos bass. It's a jazz bass, so it's perfect. It's got that vintage sound. Well, like, jazz bass can sound whatever you fuck you want. But, um, yeah, yeah. But since it's headless, it's really good. So I use headless bases a lot because sometimes in pits, you're crammed in a very tight area. So the headless oh, man. Bass yeah, that's like, a game changer, especially it, for a bassist. Yeah, it's it really helped because when I first started doing it, like I had have hit socks and I'd literally like sometimes I'd you know I'd be poking the person and it, it's no one's fault 
It's just that. Yeah. But, but with this, it's so much more comfort. And also knowing that like they can't accidentally like knock my tuning keys out. So yeah. if if one people they always go like, why get a headless mm. bass? He goes like for fly gigs. And honestly, if you do end up doing uh, theater gigs, uh, headless bases are super clutch because you can just have a little bit more space to yourself and not be worried about your headstock. Yeah. And people. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I, I'm finding it hard. I think to, to why to, <laughs> to, to not go headless anymore, I guess to, to play non headless guitars. Like now that I've switched over, I am kind of like, I, I, like the, the weight is awesome and the size is awesome. And I, I don't know. I just can't, I can't look back for, for, I would definitely say there's a huge advantage for certain scenarios. So like fly gigs, like any gig where I'm like flying extensively. Well, now yeah. I, I'm, I'm lucky enough. I have a really nice, uh, Lindsay got me like, thanks to her baby. Uh, she got me a really nice, uh, Enki fly case. Oh, okay. That being said, like the headstock is always the weakest point on an instrument. You know what I mean? Like it just is that 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 back part of the neck, right where the neck and the headstock meet. That's where the all, Gibson spot. Yeah, the Gibson spot. Even on nice faces, <laughs> that's just that's just the Achilles heel of anyone. So I've always been kind of paranoid about that shit. Um, so I always tried to put it in the upper. So like, yeah, like a headless one. It's it gives some peace of mind. I like both a lot. Like, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Like I'm a big fan of like uh, my Vanquish multi scales. I'm getting a second one because like the 36 inch scale to just like do stuff and drop tunings like for abiotic especially. Yeah. Like I like that for the drop tunings. But that being said, like for like if I'm just playing like a, like uh, like a two hour tribute gig or something like that, which I did in right before this bullshit hit Are us. You guys playing in like G or some something like that for abiotic? We're in A stand. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, you just said drop tunings, you madman. Oh yeah, no. Uh, Womp womp. I I committed. <laughs> I made a whoopsie. <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're we're an A standard though, but we're a whole step down. So for me, that one's great. And then um, I guess it is kind of a drop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For ladder that's math, sick man. For ladder math, that's A flat. Drop A flat. Oh, that's fun! You get to have a whole extra amount of bases that you have to carry around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a it's it's a good time. Yeah, dude. Dude, I'm excited about ladder math happening sometime. Yeah, man, dude. Again, this COVID thing fucked us because I had actually my um, my ticket booked to do all the final tracking with Derek and Sarah in Minnesota. So, like, literally the week this shit hit was the week my flight yeah. was leaving to do base tracking. But the good thing about this is that I finally am being an adult and learning how to do how to use a DAW instead of being a fucking man child so the thing is like for me it was one of those situations is that like i didn't go to school for production engineering i went for business i in my in my mind i was going to work for a products company as a as a kind of a platform and then just push my base plan right and so i didn't learn the daw thing and then once i graduated i didn't have the money per se because like when you go to the school and stuff like that they kind of set you up with certain things if you're doing mpne to like help you with like, you know, like monitors and all this stuff, interfaces, DAWs and stuff like that. And this is like 2010. So things were a little bit more difficult to purchase versus now where there's just so many yeah, more options. Yeah, yeah. And then what happened was, is that like when I started recording, you know, I didn't have the wherewithal. So I'm like, well, I'll use engineers. And so a lot of my friends are going to record me. And then what it kind of happened was that my career outpaced my ability to be bad at it. 
Meaning like if like when I when I first got when I first got to do a scale summit record, like I couldn't give Chris like shitty self-recorded clippy parts with bad editing. I had to give right, him like right. you know, the bow on top shit. Like you know what I mean? So it kind of was one of the things where I, I became dependent on engineers to track my shit, which luckily was it was a cool relationship because my bass always sounded very professional. But then a lot of my friends, I'd give them money to do that. So it's kind of a good symbiotic relationship I had with a bunch of friends, Tony being one of them. Yeah, but, that's awesome. Yeah. But wait, so did you track that bass on your own for the scale stuff? Uh, no. The, this latest record, I, so the one before I did uh, with a good friend uh, down in the South Shore who's. Uh, or sorry, I, I should clarify. I'm sorry. Like y- you, you tracked it with an engineer, but like not with the band, quote unquote. Yeah, just with an engineer. But this newest one, I went to Chris's oh, cool. house. I went to Chris's house in Colorado for a week and just stayed with him and he recorded me. Oh, wow. I didn't know he did his own engineering and stuff. Yeah, yeah. He self-tracks everything. Well, now now he does. So, so like, when the migration stuff was happening, he wasn't as well-versed in it himself. Like, he knew how to do it, but, you know, like, there's a learning curve for all that shit. Um, yeah, but absolutely. with the latest record in this one, his knowledge of how to record himself and do all that stuff had, had been enough that he could do a, a record by himself. And, uh, yeah, and like, with Charlie being in Minnesota, like, what we did is that we... Uh, because he was just on the podcast, we we hired a new a new does all the drums for us. It's like we yeah, we yeah, really yeah. do we don't we want to do real good stuff with drums because Charlie's an amazing drummer and we love a new like he just does. He's a great engineer and like a really chill ass yeah. guy and and very like good with production and mixing and all stuff. So yeah. Um, yeah, so the drums are always with the new this and he Charlie's on the new record, so he did it with the new again. And then bass this time, I was like, you know what to to like. Because the problem was that the, this time, like, it wasn't like the previous record. This time I had, like, we're going to write the bass line. I wanted to write it. But instead okay. of doing, like, a back yeah, and yeah, forth yeah. all the time, he goes, like, dude, I'll just fly you out to Colorado. And it was great, man. We just spent a week uh, together just hanging out. And, like, you know, he lives in a beautiful part of, like, the mountains. So we got to hang out as, like, buddies and just, like, you know, we'd work all day long, like, write parts, try different ideas, try a different bass, you know, all this stuff. So it was kind of nice because like my, I, you know, growing up, I always watched those behind the music where, you know, I see Led Zeppelin rented a castle and they, they recorded and <laughs> dropped acid. And I'm, and my career was more like, my career was more the opposite of like, Hey, don't mind the cat on the couch. Just, just scoot him over and we'll yeah, track you. Yeah. It's like the opposite glamour at all. Butters. Yeah, exactly. it, literally it's, it's just, <laughs> So all the baby boomers had like these awesome recordings. It was like, look at this analog console. It's $200,000. And me, I'm just like, yo, plug my dark glass into the interface, dude. Thanks. Yeah. Butters I got eight. this iRig uh, interface for my iPad and we're just going to go with it. For those who don't know, Butters is Tony's cat and Butters uh, steals Tony's food. So I've actually literally been in the middle of recording something. <laughs> And the take's been ruined because poor Tony had like a chicken sandwich from Wendy's and then Butters will knock it on the ground so that way it's covered in cat hair. And then it's kind of like a like a mine now. And so that's literally... <laughs> so talk about the, the reality, the, the sheer reality of like actual DIY recording versus like when you see the like all the boomer bands that are like, yeah, you know, we only had like a quarter million dollars for this record budget. And we're like... Yeah. So it's crazy, man. It's so it's like so, you can yeah. do everything just like in your in your house now. 
Yeah. Stuff but, that would have cost millions and millions and millions of dollars. I mean, but what was nice about doing that record was just like, because I was in a house, you know, because it was like in the countryside a little bit to just be able to just concentrate only on writing my bass parts. I didn't have to worry about anything else. Just like, and you know, since me and Chris are friends, there isn't that um, performance kind of, you're right. not, you're not scared to try things. You're not like, Oh God, I, I like, I need to come up with something amazing right this second. It's kind of like, Hey, let's try different things. And I'm personally really happy because uh, compared to the last record, when this record comes out, like I'm super hundred percent happy with all my bass parts. And there's a lot of stuff that's just like very new for the band. And uh, I have like my shining moments, but there's like a lot of groove in it. Like it's way more me and Charlie lock in a lot. So um, yeah, when it does come out, unfortunately this COVID thing has, has delayed it too. So sick. They're wrecking everything for everybody. Dude, for real. So, dude, do you uh, do you worry about job security as a, a bassist in the in the prog scene? Um, we've all got MacBooks doing your job for you now. Um, not particularly because the the people that come to me want something that you would be almost stupid as fuck to program. Like, like, like you yeah. know, what I mean? like, like in the sense that, like, I'm not getting like, oh, oh, oh. One one gigs. It's usually people right. want me to do like yeah. they want me to do fretless shit. They want me to to do something a little bit more technically difficult. Right. Harmonic rakes and yeah. Um, so so octa thumping and all that. <laughs> yeah. So there's like a, so for me it's just like I mean I'm, I sh- maybe but like I think I've kind of established myself where I'm not like and nothing against it but I'm not that just like generic kid with a dingwall like doing yeah. the thing. So, like, uh, I think that there's good with that because at least the people that, like, would want to hire me to are also people that want to do records. It's not just, like, a kid just wanting to do, like, a like right. a shitty demo. So it's, like, kind yeah, of, Yeah, like, can you go dom 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 on my song and then, yeah. Yeah, because I think that also, like, if you're trying to do, like, that's, that very generic type of bass playing, too, like, I hate to say it, like, if you're a good guitar player, you can kind of fake bass enough and slice yeah. it to be yeah. good. I mean, you're a bass player, so your shit sounds authentic in your mix because you actually know how to play the instrument. Uh, but the difference is like for like a lot of guitar players like that would just need O's and, and fat. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm sure they yeah, could do it, yeah. but but then they wouldn't call me anyways because it'd just be like, it's they'd be spending money on things they could just be, oh, 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 oh you know. Dude, do you have a, a secret um, slap trick that you want to share with the dreams and discourse viewers <laughs> listeners consumers yeah dude enjoyers. P- yeah pia stored in the balls first of all uh, are you serious yeah dude they woke 420 blaze it um <laughs> um you know what's a good good one good piece of advice though honestly is keep your thumb up actually so like um a lot of people do the like flea thumb down thing but for a lot of more advanced styles and like really even strikes, especially if you're trying to get like more articulate stuff. Um, and then the transit, it's much clearer that way because you're using uh, specifically the range of that's wild. your knuckle. And then also on top of that, when you want to switch to the up and down stuff, like the Evan Brewer, uh, yeah. Victor Wooten stuff, it's just much easier to switch to that. So when I'm doing my thumb kind of like this with it facing towards my shoulder, I can transition yeah. to 
up and down much easier. So that's just like a little tip. So like if you find yourself doing like the flea style, nothing wrong with that. It's just I never even realized that. Like I, I never even thought that was an option. Like only just now because you were like the flea style down. Like I've only ever thought of it as like kind of your thumb points at your nip. Yeah, yeah. You know I mean? So it's just so like I'm, I'm not gonna. I know this game picked up, but like if I'm like this my thumb is facing towards the horn of the bass. But when you do it yeah. fully style, you are just going to be able to hit that one string, but switching to up and down is much harder. But if I'm like this, huh. I can switch yeah. much easier in that stand. That's wild. Mm-hmm. That, that, that blew my mind just now. Do you think... <laughs> I'm just reading straight off my No, don't worry, man. No, do you think uh do you think we're gonna get more bassists out of the Berber Dang meme? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I hope so because Ryan Martiny from, from Mudbane is genuinely like a really fucking good bass player. <laughs> so like so like I hope that he inspires kids to just want a Berber Dang because like as much as that song and like that era of new metal is a little hokey. I will say that his bass playing on that record is absolutely stellar and yeah. he's a fucking great bass player. So hopefully like more people are just like, like I can do stuff like that on, <laughs> on, on recordings. Yeah. I just, and I'm just like Jack Nicholson in that gift. That's just like, yes, dude. <laughs> I, I was so proud of myself. I snuck a Berber dang in the gray Lotus stuff. Yes. <laughs> I, could, I bet, I bet Ben was like, wait, is that a, is that a bird? And you're like, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go Bills. Go Bills. Hey, uh, are you a Bills fan? Oh, absolutely, dude. I, I, I you know what? I, I, was, I was, I was, I, I, I love that. Like I posted a thing about how Tom Brady is such a Chad for leaving the Patriots. And I love that the first person <laughs> who loved react, it was Ben. Cause they're like, he's a Bills <laughs> Because he's a Bills fan, he's just like he was probably that day. He just like probably woke up like super erect, being like, "Yes, I can, <laughs> I can hear Patriots fans like their tears, the tears of infinite sadness." <laughs> I didn't even know that happened, man. Crap, I'm out of the game. Tom Brady left the Patriots, and now he's with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and so is Rob Gronkowski. So literally, what? all of Massachusetts dreams just got fucking smashed against rocks on high tide. Oh. <laughs> But it's also, I love it as someone who grew up in Florida who knows how shitty Tampa Bay is. And what a trash. Yeah, isn't that like one of the worst football teams or something, right? I mean, it's just more that Florida is just one of the worst places on the planet. So it's just kind of hilarious that now he's just going to be like, yeah, I think sorry, t- Florida, but I grew up there, so I can say it. Um, at least oh, shit. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think Florida is great. but yeah no it's just it's it's pretty funny i I don't know i think that's funny uh talk to me about your love for chungus (laughs) (laughs) so it was really funny that that came about with and there's actually a musical correct correction with that so um my guitar player in my other band my messes uh will london better known as gore blaster on the internet um, ah, yes. So for those who don't know, uh, Gore Blaster's a ridiculously talented guitarist, but he's also like a legitimate genius. He he worked in Cold Laser uh, at Atomic Research at MIT, and he has his PhD in it. Like he's also wow. like a poly, he's a kind of one of those polymath people. Uh, he makes electronic equipment. He can 
he can make anything with a circuit essentially he's building like a special guitar for chris with leds at light like he's just a circuit and laser and physics whiz um so knowing how casually a a rocket scientist exactly but the thing that i love (laughs) about will is that being you know and having iq of like 240 he also loves really dumb memes too. <laughs> so he just got obsessed with Chungus. All of a sudden, he would just like with band chat, he would just start sending Fat Bugs Bunny. And what happened so was is that knowing my brain, that's and knowing our brain, is my brain's yeah. like yours, that once I find a joke, I'm like, my brain finds this enjoyable. Do this, <laughs> do it again all the time. And then what happened was that just like, I own a rabbit. So it became even funnier because it's a Oh my bunny. God, I didn't know that. Yeah, I own a bunny rabbit named Moonpie. She's back there. Oh. So, so Hi, bunny. living with a chungus and having that meme and, and it being in the chat. <laughs> That's like some MTV's true life, like living with a chungus. <laughs> <laughs> she is my chungus. Um, and so basically oh what happened was that like all these things correlated and then what happened was is that Neural DSP uh, hit me up to make some tones for them for the Parallax app, uh, for the yeah. Parallax plugin. And what happened was is that basically uh, Tony, Tony Help basically did most of it. I, I built it with him, but he knew that what stuff I used in sessions. And yeah. I go like, you know what? This is going to be a product that's going to reach hopefully hundreds of thousands of people. And it's probably going to last years. What can I do to stand out? And then I named all of my presets some form of chungus. So there's thinner chungus. <laughs> there's thicker chungus. There's a uh, medium chungus. And you know, the best thing about it is that like, I've gotten so many comments from people be like, dude, I love chungus. I use it all the time in my mix. So, like, so I, I, I started off as a, as a joke, but luckily like Tony's such a good engineer Tony's such a good engineer that he made like genuinely like dope ass sounding things. Cause like, I can't take yeah. credit for it. He's actually, and I think that's one of the good things about the, the plugin, uh, my presets is that, you know, I worked with an actual engineer. I, some people were just like bass players being like, Oh, that sounds good. Whatever. He knew yeah, yeah. what actually was used in sessions, what I did. Mine is one of the more low gain ones. Uh, so it, yeah. it has heat, but it's not the whole, but holy you, crap, dude. Yeah. Some of those presets are just, dimed yeah they're dimed so i didn't want to have that i didn't want to have a hyper compressed sound so i've actually gotten a lot of people have reached out to me like from all, like a, a, like ryan from miss may i like hit me up going like dude i'm loving chungus and i'm like dude thank you so much <laughs> so like hopefully the next miss may i record like when it comes out like we'll have the bass will be like chungus in the bass so that'd be oh, that's so sick <laughs> but yeah that's that's the origin of the chungus thing so it's it's Gore blaster loving it, and then me having a bunny. I found it that much funnier, and then me being a man child and being like, "Let me put this on a professional, on a professional product." Like, dude, I remember they sent me that to demo, and I was just like, "God damn it!" <laughs> <laughs> like not once, but like five times. Just every just time you scrolled past it. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, like, isn't that what you want your base to feel like? What, like, what do you want your base to feel like? Fucking chungus, dude. And you're like, yeah, dude, uh, yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah, <laughs> one thousand percent. Not only that, but a, a big chungus. Yeah, I actually, to be honest with you, this the I, I'm doing a session for my friend uh, uh, Rob Kraft. He's a professional guitar player down in, in uh, Philadelphia, 
And uh, I'm using this base because it stuffs in drop A flat. But this base with a pick with thicker chungus has been like my go-to for that like nice uh, kind of, I'm doing kind of like a nollie thing on that, like very like pick style, like that aggressive through the string yeah, yeah. stuff with some slap stuff. And uh, yeah, but got to give all the props to Mr. Tonebone for being the kind of the guiding light <laughs> with that. Everybody call him Tonebone. He loves it. Dude, he's my tone bone, dude. It's my baby boy. Dude, we're just telling everyone how to just ruin Tony's life in this <laughs> podcast. No, I'm sorry, buddy. <laughs> just all the secrets of if you want to make Tony probably kill himself. <laughs> uh, uh, so much love, Tony. So much love. Uh, never ending. At Zen Beast Media. Yeah, actually, honestly, like, real shout out. If you guys want uh, some actually legitimately amazing music videos or yeah. professional recording, mixing, orchestration, like, he's an amazing film scorer. He's, he's gotten right now into 3D animation uh, for the new scale records. He did uh, our preview video that when it comes out and dropped in doing, like, these cool, amazing uh, art production things. And, uh, yeah, he's Sick, a genius. Dude. So, like, hit up Zen Beast Media. Um, in he's Lemons, the boy. yeah, he's and he's worth every buck. So, like, you're gonna get way more your money's worth, you know. So, don't Did be you say a, worth every fuck, worth every penny. <laughs> but yes, he's worth every fuck. I, I, he is worth every fuck. That's for sure. So, listen, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, touring in a bus versus seven people in a van on the ladder math tour? <laughs> Okay, so and, and why do you prefer that one? I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to be a lying asshole like Derek. <laughs> uh, touring in a bus is way sicker, um, just because for one reason. Um, so Wait, he, did Derek say it's not? Derek, imagine Derek. He's like, oh no, dude, I like it better than. And I'm just like, you're, you're a fucking liar. Shut up. Shut up, Derek. It's easier to punish people with your fucking farts yeah. in a van. Yeah. So like, here's the thing, like. Uh, sleeping so like with me with age so i i was fine with the abiotic tour because uh we did the white van thing uh because i was able to you know there's enough people in the van that when it was my turn to drive i was able to get enough sleep but yeah like yeah. It, it, it's amazing feeling fully rested every day because on tour everyone knows that when you're doing a van tour you sleep maybe three hours a night if you're lucky and like try to nap yeah. but you never get full like when you nap in the van guys if none of you have been on tour you never fully get full REM sleep. Like you don't really dream. You're like still in that semi-conscious state. So, you, you know, by week three, you're tough. Like that's why guys, like if you ever see like a, a white van tour, all the guys just have like dark circles under their eyes. Even if it's, oh, it, yeah. and even if it's a great tour, you're just, you don't get adequate sleep. Ooh, yeah. And it wasn't until my first bus tour that I was like, holy shit. Like I'm not tired. Like I actually got eight <laughs> hours of sleep a night. A lot of times, and if you want to be one of those people that just sleeps the fucking, it's amazing because normally you arrive at the venue at noon, 9 a.m. And loading yeah. still isn't until like four. So like literally, like there's not really an obligation for you to do. So if you want to be those people that just wants to get its maximum amount of sleep, that's the advantage. And also because you can like do things like, Man. you can like go to a quiet place and like kind of like, you know, eat your dinner in peace and shit like that. So there's that. Yeah. But that being said, yeah, the, I feel like even in a van, like you can't really. There's no. There's no privacy in a van because no. you're still very clearly like 
visible to the world. So the one good thing about a van though is like let's say if you, you can rec- do random stops, like if, you know there, that's there's more yeah, of a, yeah. the way I describe it is like being in a van tour really builds camaraderie because it, you feel like a bunch of pirates on a little pirate ship. <laughs> yeah, it's true though, yeah. like because you're you're also but you can sail the ship where you want. You know what I mean? When you're on a tour, like you know the with a buzz, like and especially if you're not the headliner or anything like that. You can't be like, oh, let's let's go to the mall or let's go to Walmart or whatever. So yeah, let's there, pull over the Titanic real quick. <laughs> yeah, it's way too much. Of, yeah, so like, I mean, for my health and sanity, a bus is way better. But there is a genuine amount of real fun on doing a van tour. That's like, you know, it's fun in the very again. It, I think it builds a a fraternity, a you know, sorority, a you know, a, yeah. a, a bond between people because. You're kind of on this little, I, I always thought of it, it's like you're in a little space, especially when you think about how many miles you drive on a full U.S. tour, and you're in a highway, like, like you almost start to love the van, because the thing is, like, you're out in the middle of Montana, and that's the only thing keeping you, getting you to civilization again. So it's just yeah. you people, it's like, it's what I imagined, like, you imagine you're a pirate, you're crossing the Caribbean, like, you're 500 miles away from the shore. <laughs> oh, just, Bessie takes me. Yeah, old, <laughs> Wherever old, I need to get. And old Bessie's also the only thing between you and like death, <laughs> so, literal like, death. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I guess, the, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, I remember that. That was eloquently put. Thank you. I appreciate it. I like the the pirate analogy. I definitely, especially on a metal tour where it's just like you know grungy ass, smelly guys. Yeah, it's incredibly it. similar. Unshowered, <laughs> bearded, neck bearded men, scurvy. <laughs> Scurvy. Dude, fucking Sarah Longfield literally got scurvy once. Did you know that? Wait, she literally got like the vitamin C deficiency. Scurvy. <laughs> Full on scurvy. Dude, that poor she girl, ate dude. Nothing but candy for like two months or something. <laughs> That's the most Sarah. Is, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like as Sarah Longfield as it gets. Just like, yeah, dude, I totally got scurvy. Like, just, <laughs> Dude, I didn't stop eating fruit by the foot for two months. <laughs> Dude, it's it's like you know that that South Park meme. Like, I'm not making fun of you, Sarah. You're the best. No, she's the best. But it's like that uh, South Park meme, like and it's gone when he puts the money in the bank. It's like Sarah, <laughs> any time that she's on tour, and I'm sick. <laughs> Dude, yeah, <laughs> I am so grateful. Like honestly, like one thing that like thank you, Grandpa. Like so my my on my grandfather's side, on my, on my mom's side. They're just very hardy people. Like my grandfather, you know, died at like 93 and he was just like built like he wasn't a sickly person and didn't get ill and like just could roll with the punches. He was like an outdoors guy. So like, thankfully, those genetics kind of gave to me. So I'm kind of built for touring in a way like I'm not an achy person. I don't get sick easily. Like I don't catch colds. Because thankfully, because I've seen people get like, well, remember fucking Grey Lotus fucking Ben got super sick. Oh, man. And I was just like, literally like, I was like, I, all the abiotic guys were just like, we're like, not us, not us, not us. Because I saw Ben oh just like God, got laid yeah, the dude. fuck out. And I was like, no. Because getting that the was, flu on tour must be so shot. He was fucked up. Did you hear any of the any any of the stuff he was saying about it? Like he was hallucinating in the back of the van. Oh no, I did not know. Poor Ben. Uh, it was incredible, man. He's just laying there in this like pile of like wet sleeping bags. And he's just, <laughs> oh, <no>. like, 
like, he was like, dude, I thought I was in jail for a little while. And then I was <laughs> oh, like, no, dude. maybe I'm in a hospital. And then it was like, what was it? We were, we were passing that time. We were listening to the, the periphery four documentary. And he was like, yeah, dude, I thought Spencer Satella was just walking in circles around me. talking." <laughs> <laughs> like he was fucked up, dude. Oh no, that's so <laughs> fucked, man. Oh, poor Ben. So, uh, the kids out there, try your best not to get sick on tour because um, yeah, I haven't had it, but like I, I've seen people, especially like Sarah, dude. I've seen her just like ill. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like it's like that episode <laughs> of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia with Dennis, where he's like, "Hey guys, I think I might be coming down with something." And then Charlie goes like, dude, seriously, I think you're going to die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've ever seen her not get sick on tour. Like, uh, frighteningly sick. <laughs> she, You know what, though? Good for people update worry about Sarah. She's, like, eating super healthy these days, according to Derek, and, like, doing really well. So Longfield's uh, no longer bourbon and gummy bears, though. Okay. Holy shit. The end of an era. Yeah, I know. Right? Now it's more like, you know, home cooked meals and water. So yay. That's that's some good that's some good shit right there. I've been doing that minus the water, so that's tight. <laughs> I used to survive on a diet of beer and cigarettes. <laughs> can I give you, Can I give you a tip or something that's helped me drink like five times the amount of water? Yeah. Do you? Okay. Well, let me preface this. When you go to a restaurant, do you like lemon water? Sure. Yeah. Do, do you do you find like when they give you the lemon, it's like more easier to drink? Go to the supermarket and get those little bottles of lemon juice in the produce section and put three squirts in a glass of water. I have quintupled my water intake because of it. Nice. Because it, it, like especially like even if you have good filtered water, like it's hard to like continually do it but with that little edge of lemon flavor like you'll be hounding water all the time so that's just a yeah. tip like for anyone that wants to keep hydrated i, I do that. i brought some on tour with abiotic actually so whenever i'd have bottled <laughs> water because you know how like how you're on tour there's always dead that's a good move. three quarter uh filled bottle oh, of water. No, yeah dude expect, yeah, yeah so we, oh instead of God. having them sit in the graveyard of that like i would actually finish all my water because i would bring it and i'd have it in my suitcase i'd be like choo 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 and then, like, I do that, and it would last me like two weeks. One of the bottles, so. dude. Good man. So tour hacks, hashtag tour, and they're like two bucks. They're the the ones in the produce aisle that are next to like the tomatoes and shit, the little plastic lemon juice things. It's a yeah. it's a game changer. I did I did it randomly one day, and for the past two years, uh, now I drink like five glasses of water a day at least. Dude, I've been drinking. Uh, it's called Drip Drop. It's it's like basically like a Pedialyte kind of a thing. Like it's just like a ultra electrolyte thing. Mm-hmm. It tastes real good and it super hydrates you and it makes me feel like I'm able to drink less water than I'm supposed to, which is great because I never <clears throat> drink water. So. That's good, though. Hey, man. <laughs> At least I'm kind of hydrating, you know. No, no, for sure, man. Wait, what, you gotta you gotta do what you gotta do. I'm gonna check my notes. What do we got here, dude? Do you have any uh, any any questions that you would want to answer without me asking you? <laughs> uh, well, the answer to that is yes to those questions. So whatever you were asking, yes. Nice. No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Nice. 
Dude, uh, do you do uh, do you do lessons and shit while you're on tour, or do you just you yeah? Just I try to your best life. No, no, I try and do as much as I can because, again, like, um, you know, luckily with Scale of Summit, like, you know, I do get paid weekly, you know, on the tour and everything like that. But like, you know, lessons are just cash on hand. It just yeah. guess what? It's extra money for food for for things you want, you know, just to get you through. And it just it can rack up because. If you get four lessons in a in a in a week, and you're charging sixty bucks, that's two hundred forty bucks. That's that's a big deal on a tour to be able to do that. You know what I mean? That's a lot of fucking tacos. Yeah, dude. it's it's harder on van tours <laughs> because a lot of times you show up and like coordinating when the student would come and having a yeah. space to do it. So I found that it was much harder to teach lessons when I did van tours. But that being said, like yeah, I try always to like fill it up as much as I can if I if I know I have time to do it. Um, I'll try and put out feelers there and try and teach as many bass lessons as I can on tour. It's a, it's, it's definitely sometimes a challenge to, to be able to make it happen. But also, people, the cool thing about it is that when they come to take a bass lesson from you on a tour, they're also more realistic about what like it's going to be. So it's not as formal in the sense like you. They're more there to like hang, learn yeah. something cool. And then, like, what I always do, because, you know, again, I appreciate people that care enough to do that. I always try and guest list the person if I have any guest list spots. So that way I get to say, like, hey, oh yeah, okay. you get to go to the show for free. Like, that because you're already helping me out. And I view it as, like, you are you care right. enough about my bass playing to come drive with your bass to a venue, learn from me, give me money to do that. I might as well give let you go to the show for free. So if, I, if I'm in a position where I can give guest spots, like, um, I always try and guest about the person that takes a lesson from me. That's solid, dude. Yeah. Much respect. Yeah. What's your uh, What's your favorite venue to play? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I don't think I'm a recurring favorite, but I definitely had some that I thought were really genuinely like, like really good. Like I like come and take it live in Austin, Texas. Oh yeah. Uh, I like a, a couple of them. Like, even though the Dirty Dog is dirty in Austin, there's there's a really kind of I've had some of the best shows of my life there, and it's just the vibe from the people there. There's a Anthony, the the guy who actually is funny. He he used to be the guy who ran shows at Dirty Dog, and now he uh, he owns Come Take It Live. His name's Anthony. Um, he's the sweetest guy ever, and he runs such a professional tight ship, and the security's good there. Uh, peep, it's the venues are especially to come and take it live is super clean. The sounds fantastic. It's cool. It's like a, for those who have never been, it's it's um, it looks like a it's built like a log cabin. So the walls are like a log cabin and stuff like that, and it's very yeah, cool. Yeah, that one. And then this podcast sponsored by Come and Take It Live in Austin, Texas. There's also a really good breakfast spot like right across the street <laughs> from there. That's really sick. Um, but apart from that, also like. I have to say it was it was super fun playing the Viper Room. Um, it's tiny as shit, but the sound is unbelievable. And this is not familiar. Where is that? Viper Room is on the Sunset Strip. It's um, oh okay. okay. It's famous. Uh, I mean, not for like the happiest of reasons, but it's where River Phoenix passed away. Oh shit! Yeah, but but it's an iconic. Uh, it's an like, super iconic uh, Sunset Strip venue, like the Roxy or the Whiskey. It's tiny. It's only like one twenty cap. But it's got unbelievably good sound. Um, nice. I was I was fortunate enough to play with uh, Danny Carey there once with Felix. Uh, it was really cool to see Danny Carey playing um, in like what would be like 
what's a what side remember sidebar and and Baltimore? So <laughs> yeah, imagine man. imagine watching Danny Carey play drums in sidebar like so you like you physically feel the air from his kick drum like because the other only other way you'd see Danny Carey play would be at a, at an uh, at a stadium in Tool and to get decent seats would be like you know two hundred fifty bucks three hundred dollars so uh, right it was just a cool show so come and take a live that and I have like a little bit of a soft spot for uh, Reggie's in Chicago I've just had a lot of memories there dude Reggie's is sick yeah Reggie's is the the I just have had Real really great good times at Reggie's yeah Reggie's is is, is chill. Dude, I just got my Trump bucks. Oh, you did? Uh, I got, yeah. I, I got, I got mine today. So <laughs> Trump bucks. Okay, what a fucking. <laughs> we live in a fucking meme, dude. Yeah, straight up. <laughs> we live in a meme. I, I um, so do you know about Ray Kurzweil's uh, singularity theory? Like, do you know how, about his singularity theory? I think. Yeah, so that's Ray- the thing that we're we're all slowly like becoming one or something like that so ray kurzweil technology or sort of ray kurzweil just basically is um is this um uh engineer who basically was the founder of kurzweil uh keyboards and he um he also developed a lot of stuff for the hearing impaired and stuff like that but uh he's a futurist and he he wants to be immortal but his view of a singularity is that we will morph with artificial intelligence like we'll become artificial intelligence one day and immortality is possible and whatnot. But mine is an adjusted theory on that. And is that we will all become a meme. So, <laughs> so we're like, we're going to reach what Kurzweil is right. It's just that we're just going to become just Wyatt giant fucking JPEG of shitty humor. Yeah. My, okay. Best thing I'll say, and I'm not trying to bring like stupid shit like this into it, but like my favorite Facebook group, is called We Have Murdered Satire and We Sit on Its Corpse Like a Throne. And that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like all the articles all day. It's like, wow, that's what we how we live now. Cool. <laughs> Dude, you were the one that I was like geeking out about with like Nihilist Arby's, right? Yeah, Nihilist Arby's is the best page ever. Oh my God. Dude. <laughs> when the nukes fall, I if why not just going? <laughs> my favorite some of them were so great like roses are red violets are blue who gives a shit we all die alone eat arby's <laughs> <laughs> it's it is absolutely incredible if you guys can look up old nihilist arby's posts it is literally the best thing ever it's oh like, yeah they're still going dude <laughs> they are fuck yes dude this May the 4th, as the world dies all around you and you take solace in pretending that liking the biggest entertainment property in the history of humanity makes you interesting somehow, remember, this existence is like Rogue One. Everyone dies at the end. Enjoy Arby's. <laughs> I love it because they'll just randomly sometimes like like sneak an actual Arby's reference in there. They'll just be like, life is like a roasted cheddar brisket sandwich. Yeah. Hor- horrible <laughs> like or something like that <laughs> <laughs> oh it's so good we are we are the best thing I saw the other day I had to use part of it but I didn't want to get into it but it was like we are God we are God's children and he left us in a hot car <laughs> <laughs> yeah dude yeah I was just like yeah that's so dark but that's so true <laughs> oh my god <laughs> oh yeah.
Uh, this is from January 1st. Whatever, assholes. Death approaches and time and agency are illusions. You're already dead. Please continue to eat Arby's in 2020. <laughs> yeah, I love those like little, those little, the thing that always makes is the little Arby's reference at the end. It's like, <laughs> In friggin' credible, dude. Uh, hey, what's your favorite movie, Killian? Good question. I don't know that answer. As much as like, I think I just, they just trolled people for liking it. I am a big Star Wars fan and I like all of them. So, um, oh, really? Yeah, so I, I guess just, if not that, like, it's, like, my favorite currently, but growing up, I'll say as a child, like, uh, Return of the Jedi was one of my favorite movies, you know, like, from that era. And then there's, like, a couple of dramas. Like, I, I really like the Shawshank Redemption as a drama. And stuff like that. Oh, dang. That's not an answer I expected. Oh, yeah, that, that Tim Robbins performance on that was fantastic. Morgan Freeman, everyone. You know, it's just a really poignant film. It's got a lot of really emotionally, like, touching moments and... Uh, I really enjoy it. Yeah. I always mix up uh, Shawshank Redemption with Green Mile. Oh, yeah. You know what? I've never seen the Green Mile, but I've heard it's excellent. So. Oh, shit. That kind of ruins the whole. Like, it's like kind of a joke, but it actually is true that I always mix them up. But, like, one of them is, like, this very, like, touching, like, kind of realistic story. And then the other one, there's, like, a magical man who heals people with I, his touch or something. Yeah, I, I remember that. No, I've, I've definitely seen clips of it. I've just never, like, sat down and watched the whole thing. I do remember that, like, yeah. the one scene where I think, like, Tom Hanks has a urinary tract infection, he can't pee, <laughs> and then Michael Clark Duncan just touches his dick, and he's like, I can pee again. <laughs> and I'm like, yo, what a boss. I mean, it, it, it is, like, a really good movie. No, no, no. It, I, no, it is I, definitely... I, Goofy in comparison. No, I've heard. I've heard it's. I heard it's legitimately a, a great film. So I'm not shitting it. Yeah. I just thought it was funny because there's literally a scene where Mike, where Michael Clark Duncan just grabs Tom Hanks' junk and then like cures his junk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's that's some good some good stuff. <laughs> every time I think of Michael Clark Duncan, now I think of this Anthony Jeselnik tweet. Oh God, I uh, love Anthony Jeselnik. Do you remember back when he used to just tweet incredibly fucked up shit? <laughs> like, I feel like he doesn't do it anymore. Dude, I, I, I forget what special it was, but it was so amazing. It was like, look, he was like, my neighbor down the hall is an old man and he has dementia. And I had to tell him that his wife has passed away. And it was like, <laughs> <laughs> and it was worth it. Just to see the smile on his face, <laughs> like it's like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. his delivery. <laughs> that guy's delivery is fantastic. It's so good, dude. Straight up, like before he had his uh, his Comedy Central show, yeah. he would just tweet like the most horrific shit, <laughs> like like topically on the day something horrible happened, <laughs> he would tweet. So, like, on the day of the Aurora, Colorado shooting. Oh, God. He just tweets, other than that, how was the movie? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, no. Like, so he tweets uh, the fucking day, to the day uh, that Michael Clark Duncan died. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was, uh, it was like... (laughs) 
Michael Clark Duncan is the Ving Rhames of corpses. <laughs> or like something like that. <laughs> it, was, it was so rough, dude. Oh god, he's amazing. Yeah, um, I think he uh, he kind of toned that back after he had like an official Comedy Central show. I was watching a documentary on Gilbert Gottfried the other day, and it was actually fucking amazing. Oh my god, dude! Dude, he's he's actually like a very interesting human being. He takes the mega, yeah, so he has he has money. <laughs> but like when he plays Boston, like so he'll he'll do a comedy show in Boston. So he's got yeah. money. Not that he's like loaded, but he's not poor. Right, um, right. But he's notoriously in the comedy world for being extremely cheap. So yeah. the funny thing is that he'll take the mega bus to Boston, like the, <laughs> the dollar mega bus. So literally, the camera people are following him, and he's getting on the mega bus that like <laughs> like me or you would take to go from Boston to New York that costs five dollars. Yeah. Yeah, like, the, and, then, and it's amazing because, like, his wife, and they have, like, a $3 million apartment in Manhattan and shit like that. Like, he, yeah. uh, he has, he's kept, like, all the, like, soaps and toiletries from everyone, and he just collects toiletries on tour. <laughs> but here's the best part, and this is where I love Gilbert Gottfried so much now. He sells his own merch. So, how many times, so you and I have both done this, where we don't have a merch guy. So, what do we do? You drop our shit, pack up the stage, and you rush to the merch table to sell your own shit, right? Yeah, absolutely. Gilbert fucking Gottfried brings a backpack with his own no. DVDs and goes, after he's done, walks to the merch table and sells his own merch with a, with wow. the iCardi. Yeah. But just to make a little extra scratch, I go, like, mad respect, like, wow. in the sense that, like, the hustle is still real. Because, like, you know, he's yeah. he makes enough money from it that, like, he doesn't need to do that. He just... He's like, hey, I'll make some extra money. I'll sell my own merch. Why would I have a merch person? I'll just sell my own merch. <laughs> That's cool. And that means he like actually talks to fans and stuff. Yeah, no, like he'll literally cool. be at the merch table selling his own shit afterwards. He'll, he'll sell his own DVDs and shit like that. So I almost want to go see him live just so I can like wow. buy a DVD from him directly. Yeah. Dude, yeah, I would totally do that. Dude, so in that documentary, did they talk about his fucking 9-11 fiasco? Oh, they talk about the tsunami thing. So when he was the Aflac duck, he made like a, a tsunami <laughs> joke the day it happened, kind of like Anthony Jeselnik. And then, yeah, and, yeah. And then Aflac shit canned him from being the duck. <laughs> yeah. The thing was is that like, actually, maybe it, was, maybe it wasn't 9-11. Maybe it was the tsunami. It was a Japanese tsunami. That's what it was. And the, the funny thing about it is that like, I go like, <laughs> she's she's super supportive and everything. It was like he fucked up the easiest paycheck in America. <laughs> oh no, he did, dude. Yeah, because literally all he says is just Aflac, Aflac. Yeah. That's it. That's all he has to do. He doesn't have to. And then like maybe some <laughs> some inflections of it, like Aflac, Aflac. Like that's it. Like he he works like an hour every two months and was probably dude. making fat stacks as the Aflac duck. <laughs> Dude, dude, listen to this shit. <laughs> so this is a couple weeks after 9-11. Oh, no, no. Gilbert Gottfried is, uh, is doing a comedy set. <laughs> and his joke is, uh, I have to leave early tonight. I have a flight to California. I can't get a direct flight. They said I have to stop at the Empire State Building first. <laughs> oh, no. And this is like a couple weeks after 9-11. Oh, my God. So the, the famous thing is like people just fucking lost it and were booing and yelling at him 
So he just went screw this and went for the classic and just told the aristocrats. Oh, the aristocrats joke with all the expletives, all the sex, yeah. sex references. Or was that was that the tsunami thing or was that the No, that's a that's thing? a different that's a nine eleven one. You're correct on that. And then the tsunami yeah, yeah. thing happened like five six years ago and it's when he was the athlete. Oh, so it was recent. Yeah, like he it's when the tsunamis Jesus. happened in, in Japan and then he shit the bed real hard by making he posted like I thought it was a single tweet. He like tweeted all day. Like just joke. <laughs> and then Affleck's like Dude, and then this Come eight. on. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> even after the fucking nine eleven shit happened, he still fucking yeah. went in on it. Yeah, and then like literally like his agents is like, Yeah, dude, so like you're super fucking fired. <laughs> 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 Yeah, sorry, dude, but you're fucking done. <laughs> yeah, Holy it, crap, man. Look, I'm not for censorship or anything, but if you paid me 100 grand a year to just say Aflac, I just got to keep a pretty tight ship because that's just giving me money for nothing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that dude's got a great, that dude's got a, I was going to say great voice, but uh, he's he has that voice. <laughs> There's a, <laughs> There's a funnier die skit that still cracks me up. It's when that Fifty Shades of Grey book was out. And it was a skit where it's like, Gilbert Gottfried reads you Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh, that's amazing. And it's just like, and he was thrusting his penis <laughs> into and the he was thrusting! Yeah, exactly. It's exactly like that's amazing. The best is some woman listening to the audiobook in the subway. And just like, it's like, and he found her clitoris and just like to look on the woman's face. <laughs> oh my God, dude. Uh, so bass. <laughs> yeah, dude. Bass guitar for sure. Do you, do you, uh, if, if you were to, to pick up a bass, if somebody was like, I need you to do some bass work. Yeah. What would you like immediately pick up a four, a five, or a six string? Everything's relative to the situation. Um, I'm very fortunate. You don't know the situation. Um, my instinct would probably be a five because um, okay. it just covers my ass for low registers. Um, a six is not usually my go to in scale. Like certain bands I'm in, I do use a six, like scale. I pretty much use a six. Gotcha. My, my yeah. predecessor used it in all the migration stuff, usually has that high stuff, but um. Yeah, my instinct, what I feel is like my baseline level is a five. Just because like, even for like stuff that people like, you know, when you hear all these like rigs of dad, people being like, oh, Jack only needs four strings. He goes like, well, yeah, dumbass. <laughs> but he also yeah. ran through like chorus and phaser pedals and was playing fretless and playing bop leads. So like your argument yeah. is shit. Uh, but it's also because even cover gigs, uh, a lot of pop synth stuff will have the lower register. The theater stuff, surprisingly, oh, true. Yeah. surprisingly, because a lot of the stuff ends on low C chords or low Bs or low Ds. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So a lot of times, a lot of musical numbers, you'll need the low B strings. So my, if I bring a five, it's usually what's going to cover most of my basses. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh. <laughs> the majority of my basses are fives. I have two fours, uh, three sixes, but the rest are all fives. Like what, like seven fives or? Uh, I think. How many you got? I have, I'm going to have 12 now. Nice. Yeah. Right. I, I, I wanted to have it so that like I, I, like I no longer want for anything. I think the one thing that I want, like one more that I might put in a build for is one additional fretless because I absolutely love how the one that Sarah painted for me and the EQ assembled. It's my dream yeah. sounding fretless 
but the paint job was is also kind of very flamboyant and like very eccentric, which is right. awesome, and I love it, and I'll do it for I'll use it 100 percent for sessions and videos. But like, let's say yeah. if, like for like a live setting, that might not be the most appropriate thing, just because yeah, you want something a little more understated. Yeah, exactly. So I think depending that, on the situation, yeah. So I might just get a fretless five with the exact same specs, like like the finished fingerboard and the single coils. But then I just might get it in black or sunburst, you know, just to be a little more understated. Because that bass also right. like the one that Sarah painted super special, just because like uh, I've been playing fretless since I was fifteen years old, and unfortunately, all the fretlesses I ever owned were very cheap. So I learned and I honed my chops on my right. intonation. But it was always not as necessary as my fretted bases. So, but I always wanted to have one nice fretless bass. Like I wanted like one of those Pedula Pentabuzz, like nice ones with their like a Zon or something like that. And I always. Wanted when did you start playing bass, like, at all? When I was twelve years old. I'll never forget the date, November sixteenth, two thousand one. Oh wow! Okay. I remember it because my my aunt was the one that bought it for me, and I remember this was back in the day when musicians' friend used to take months to deliver shit like. People like now, if like you're a kid now, don't realize how like shipping back in the day, like like standard. Everybody shipping. watching, look at the light in his eyes right now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a seldom seen happiness in a musician's eyes. Yeah, and it was. Um, <laughs> it took like three and a half fucking weeks to get there after order. So like obviously I remember oh, just man. like every day, and it was one of those Ibanez sound gear kit bases. The four string. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll never forget yeah. it. And I, I owned that bass for years. I sold it to one of my professors. But uh, yeah, November 16, 2001. Yeah, I think that's the date exactly it was that I got it. Nice, dude. Yeah. I'm, I wonder if we started playing bass around the same time then. Possibly, yeah. We both have like very similar like time frame of like what people like. You, you had that Victor Wooten record and all that stuff that kind of came into reality in our stratosphere. Right? Yeah. And then, what? Uh, what year was that? The um, show of hands. Yeah, show of hands. That's right. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. it's from actually. I think it's from the nineties. I think it's like nineteen ninety eight or something like that. So we discovered wow. it when we were a little older. But I think that was like, and that was like his like, what a like amazing fuck you here I am record. I remember the first time I heard that. A lot of the oh stuff I, I was just literally I was like, that's not actually like possible by human hands and like. Um, you know, and having like had the privilege, huge honor of like teaching with Victor and having met him a couple of times. It's, I still love watching him play, especially when he goes fucking hog wild. I don't care. I'm still yeah. like, I'm a fanboy and I, I love it. And I, so much of my playing style, all my slap shit, like, you know, you know, all those like fuck slap bass haters can eat a dick because Victor Wooten's fucking awesome. And, like, they're just salty. Dude, they're just salty. They're just salty. They can't do that shit because he's amazing. And that shit's so much. I think that shit's so much fun. I'm sorry. It's it's a blast to be able to do that shit. I think Victor Wooten's like the last person, like the only person at this point that I I'm still gonna like completely fanboy. He's a whenever super, I end up meeting him. Like he, he's a really 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 nice guy. He's um really down to earth, very humble and like very sweet and just like very soft-spoken and very eloquent and stuff like that. I had a really surreal moment where I was teaching a rhythm section workshop at Berkeley for a weekend course that they had there. So my friend David Marvuglio, I don't know if you know him, but he plays in a band called Chuggernaut with Tall Dave. Yeah. With Dave Cohen. Um, so Marv is a, is a Berkeley professor. <clears throat> so 
So he's part of the bass faculty. He's the youngest guy in the bass faculty. And he needed someone apart from him to teach like the more metal rock ones. And we were doing uh, an odd time signature lab for like the drummers and the bass players to play along with. And Victor, right. Victor just comes into the room. So it was, it was a very like surreal, stressful, but very like huge thing to have him just sit in there and yeah, like, give feedback yeah. and like, you know, be there and stuff like that. And, and it was cool because since I was part of the faculty, it was like kind of we were on the same side for a bit. Like, even though for me, I'm always going to be the little kid with him. Um, right. Yeah. So it was just really cool and really nice guy. I got him to play Sparkle Pony. I wish I had a video of it, but he got to play my like, <laughs> for those of you who know, I have a, I have a Vader sparkle pink. It looks like a giant sex toy. It's um, it's just a big neon pink sparkly six string bass. It's the most flamboyant, Love obnoxious it. thing. And it's just awesome. It. It's just awesome to have Victor would have played sparkle. <laughs> Are you gonna get more uh, corgi pickups? Um. So here's the thing. I have more actually of the pickup covers. They just only fit Music Man style humbuckers. So, ah, okay. So what I want to do, I was going to have them on the, the six ring Zeus. I was going to do it, but that was a surprise build from Jeff for me. Like he surprised me with that six ring. Um, oh, wow. But if I had known he was going to do that, I would have sent him the pickup covers. But also like I, I kind of knew he was going to put those types of pickups, but it was one of those things where it was a surprise base. I'm not going to be like, hey, I know you're doing this really insanely <laughs> nice thing for me with this really nice base. Can I give you yeah. a thing extra? But if I put in another build with a, a Music Man style pickup, I, I will. Because what they do is, the only problem is I can't put it over the other one because they have to do is they have to take the the core of the... So this is an O... So they take the, the, the black part of the pickup off and then they install the cover. Good thing is it's, it's right. laser etched in there. So even with this, I played like a speed metal set with this. Like... You know, this is one of the bands, maybe it's with Angel and shit like that. I play with this bass pick style mostly. And luckily, even with me, like, aggressively pounding it, the since it's laser etched in there, not just painted, uh, the Corgis actually withstood this as, as a test of time. So next time I get any type of music man style pickup, <laughs> that fat humbucker, I'm definitely going to Kiesel and being like, yo, before you go, here's another one. Because I have, like, yes. I, think I, have, I think I have, like, two or three designs of the dog. The guy sent me, I asked him for one and he goes like, yeah, I made you a bunch. And he sent me like five. So I still have like at least like three. Oh, around. dude, I know. <laughs> oh, that's right. Oh, you guys are so mean. You yeah, see, that would have gotten don't know. Oh my God, that was so funny. Uh, Killian was on tour and knew he would be coming by. So he had his pickup covers shipped to my house. And we decided we wanted to mess with them. So we took them out of the box and then we took a video of us lighting the box on fire. <laughs> <laughs> but it ruined because Steve ruined the, the surprise for you. Remember? Dude. Oh, that was such a bummer, man. <laughs> yeah. We had it all hush hush. And then fucking Steve, one of the dudes in the bands that was with us, put it on his Snapchat story. So Killian saw it. <laughs> so sad. So sad. It was still funny though. It's like uh, I like. It's just the way that like all the like fuck you, killing you fucking stupid corgi. Yeah. <laughs> God, that was so good. Fuck you, Killian. Yeah, it was so. Uh, hey, dude, tell me about your favorite bass pickup type. Um, right now it's actually Blow everybody's been, ear up. So I love the sound of single coil jazz pickups. Um just in the sense that they're slap tone and how they grind everything. 
But what I've been really actually genuinely loving is Kiesel has these pickups that are radium pickups, which are radius. So they feel kind of like a finger ramp. Um, and what it's been awesome about those is that they still have the single coil circuit, you know, and the windings Clever. in there. So yeah. with the new Vanquish, I'm getting that's what's going to be in there. So I like single coil jazz sounding pickups of any kind, any type of Fender style of that. But now that they have the radium single coils, they have the radius on it. Aesthetically and for the feel of my hands, especially when I'm doing my three finger stuff, that's like my favorite thing. Um, that's sick. Yeah, I like. I'm I'm one of those people. I love the best of old and new worlds. Like, um, I I love all the Leo Fender things that made those bass iconic. I love Stingray, like pickups. I like he right. he humbuckers all that. But I like shit like active three band EQs. I like, um, you know, having the preamps. I love the fan frets. I love the headless shit. So it's like, I love the intersectionality of those two worlds. And uh, so basically like a vamped up P pickup, like, like my court, like a, that's what I love. Sparkle Pony is technically a P bass and it has a giant flip P humbucker on it. And it's just, oh, man, and it's just fucking gnarly. <laughs> it's the most aggressive sounding thing. And it's so awesome. Cause it's just a giant pink dildo and it's just the angriest yeah. sounding bass. Is it true that you're like a like a coward if you prefer a P bass? <laughs> I'm not I'm not quite that far into bass culture, but I feel like that's kind of what I've come to like understand. No, okay, so like so you're 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 definitely a total putz if you're one of those people that thinks that a P bass means that you ha- it's a personality type. Um, because there are okay. people, there's like rigs of dad people who think that like because they they play a precision bass that they're more woke for some reason, which is so fucking stupid. Um, hmm. That being said, I do love precision basses. I have one. Um, I play with a band here in Massachusetts. It's, it's, it's a big honor. They're called Death Ray Vision, but it's actually Mike from Killswitch Engage's other band. So, oh, nice. So I'm actually subbing in for Mike from Killswitch. Um, <coughs> so I have a P bass that I use for that. That's like a four string. It just sounds so good and grindy with a pick. And I use that P bass a lot for theater gigs for the old ones. Like I did the Godspell production. I did. I use the P bass. That's very seventies. Um, but yeah, like I, I mean, the thing is, it's cringy if you think that you're like some woke, like you know, you're that Berkeley <laughs> kid. Like, yeah, dude, I put foam mute on there. You know, I just have flat wounds. My action's three inches high. You know, I'm just pocket. <laughs> I'm so woke. It goes like, wow. If I had a vagina, oh, if I had a vagina right now, I'd be so dry. It'd be like, <laughs> It's just more like it's it's people who think that they're geared. Like I'm sure for guitar players, same thing. Like you yeah. probably love the sound of a really nice strat, but fuck anyone who thinks that they're like woke as fuck. It's like oh yeah, dude, fuck eight strings, dude. All you need is a strat, and you're like, <laughs> yeah, you're like good for you. I got super bummed the other day because I uh, I found myself wanting to buy a Fender amp. Oh, twin reverb, and I was like, oh god, this is like the beginning of the end. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Uh, actually, it was a it was a what was it a a junior blues. Ooh, that might sound actually really nice. It was wild, man. It sounded super good. So my um my neighbors, my next door neighbor, and then two neighbors down are both musicians. So like they just kind of went out on the front porch and were just jamming. Oh, that's fun. And I was super impressed with my my one neighbor's tone, and it was just a a junior blues. I mean, respect. But it was like straight yeah. up SRV shit. Like, I mean, there. Like, I will give credit where credits due. Like, well, I believe that. Like, honestly, like an Axe Effects is a miracle of modern 
creation. Um, yeah, man, like a really nice, warm, fucking awesome tube sound that just that nice little bit of breakup and cut and warmth. It sounds yeah. ridiculous. I was I was playing with uh, my best friend Jeff here. Um, we're trying a bunch of Friedmans out, and the way I can describe Ooh. like really good, really good tube overdrive is like you can taste it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like no, really, like you play like a nice rich E minor chord, and you're literally like I can sense that on my like tongue. Like you like all the frequency spectrum, all the overtones are represented. There's no harsh frequency. The highs aren't shrill. Like you could even yeah. alternate pick and you're not like, ow, kill me. That being said, though, like, like, yeah. And like, especially for nice cleans, like with a, with, if you have like a plate reverb and stuff like that, you're playing nice clean shit through a plate reverb through a tube amp. It's unbelievable. Yeah. But that being said, oh, yeah, brother. I am super pro plugin as well. Like I think that there's yeah. just so much amazing shit. The only thing Dude, I, there's a lot of stuff that's really killing the game right now. And especially at like ultra cheap price points, it's crazy, man. Yeah, man. I've had a lot of moments where I'm like, I might, I might sell that Axe Effects of mine and use this two hundred dollar plugin instead. There's a lot of great shit out there, man. And the thing is, just like it, everything is just, you know, the one thing is just keep an open mind. And also, the thing is too is like don't be one of those like gatekeeping elitists that think only certain things yeah. will work because the real genius and all the stuff, like the real stuff, comes from. Why not try it? Let's try it. Because honestly, at the end of the day, it sounds good and it sits in a mix. It's good. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, 100%. Like, yeah. So like, fuck the rules. This is music. It's not supposed, you know, this isn't fucking maritime law of like boating. Against, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's supposed to be like, that's why I, I like. When, Unless you're on a boat. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but bass is supposed to be like, especially like for me, like, like I do enjoy the sound of like a really kick ass, like, Ampeg SVT810 with like a nice tube amp. I, I do enjoy that. But at the same time, dude, like my dark glass pedals have just been. Remember the dude. first time I plugged into one, I was like, my God, this. I've been, you know, I've found that thing I always wanted when I was growing up that made me sit in a mix, but it was that crunch and that balls and everything. And yeah, I love dude, my dark coming, glass. Dude, coming from like a guitar perspective where it's always like you have to get the amp and then like six other pedals and then you'll sound like kind of okay. Yeah. The fact when we did that fucking abiotic tour that it was just like, here, plug in this Microtubes 800 or nine, 900, 800. Yeah, yeah, the, the, yeah, the Microtubes 900, yeah. It's just plug it in and it sounds perfect. Like I was like, "Fuck this, dude! <laughs> this dude, it, is it, not fair." <laughs> it's 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 a dream for someone like me, man, because I'm not an engineer, and I think the the only criticism I have of a lot of uh, equipment is that it does take too high of a learning curve for certain things, and yeah. it is a little kind of you can tell that engineers were making it with other engineers in mind, but not thinking like, "Hey, I got gigs." Like a lot of people. You know, like, here's the thing. I like to learn as much as I can. But at the same time, I'm I'm always fighting this war against Dunning-Kruger society, like, which is the problem with the fucking world, in my opinion, is that people know this much about something and think that they're fucking masters of it. For me, anything in my tone, the one thing I did when, like, people were like, oh, dude, your tone's killer, man. What I did is I I didn't rely on me. I went to my friend who's a front-of-house engineer, and I go, like, tell me what you... As a front of house engineer who's mixed, like he mixed Alice in Chains, he mixed, uh, he was Shavo from System of a Down's personal sound engineer. Like he did everyone, like like all like a bunch of A list guys. He was King's X's front of house engineer. Like so he knows his shit. So he's yeah. like, so he's like, all right, 
move these frequency knobs, do this, more drive there, boom, take a picture of those settings and adjust for the room. And then people every night were like, your shit sounds killer. But the good thing about it was is that it didn't take a lot. Like I already from with my ignorant, ignorant being a stretch, just being non-engineer world, I was, the adjustments I did to him were so minimal and it was just, it, it, it's, you have to actively try to make that shit sound bad. Where yeah, I've yeah, legit, yeah. Where I feel bad because there's a lot of guitar amps that have a sweet spot where they're incredible and then a lot of areas where they sound like complete doo-doo butters. So it's just weird. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, I, I feel bad though because guitar players have it rough, especially because like that shit's more expensive. Like for me, I'm glad my D class head. Like if I needed to replace this head, um, I would say I'm I'm an artist, so I could get an artist discount. But like it's a thousand dollars for the head. But, like dude, like oh, yeah. like like if you want like a dirty Shirley and then a diesel or a fucking Bogner. <laughs> you're just like, you're just sad. like, it's so fucking expensive. Right. Or like, like a perfect example of an amazing company. Uh, Omega, their shit's amazing. It's unreal, yeah. but that shit ain't cheap dog. Like I remember Derek sold one of his cabs for like a couple grand. I'm like for a cab. And I'm like, he's like, yeah, dude, this is the shit. And don't be wrong. It is the shit. It is that good, but it's expensive because that has to be your staff. And so like, like, in, especially if you're like someone that's using a lot of cleans and then you go super dirty, but then you want like different ways of interpreting that. It's, it's, a, right. it's, it's a fucking art, man. Like tone for guitar is, it's a never ending journey. And at least the thing I'm happy with bass is that with the dark glass, if I'm going clean, my pickups, luckily on the keyholes, sit in a mix so fucking easily. Like that's the thing, like whether I'm recording yeah. or live, my pickups are something I'm not fighting anymore. Like my EQ is not anything like I've owned bases so much that like no matter what I tried, they never sat in a mix. There was always a struggle, even nice bases and then like yeah. amps. And with those two, I'm just like kind of a set it and forget it mode for, for, for base. And I'm super grateful for that because I know what it's like to have gear that I'm always fighting that uh, engineers are like, kind of like, uh, I don't know about that, but now it's yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. 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 Every engineer now is just like, dude, you sound sick. Cool. And then it makes my life easier it makes their life easier. And then I can just worry about playing bass and not worried about this thing where like, Oh shit, there's frequencies popping out or whatever. So yeah. Hey, uh, do you have uh, any advice for your former self? Oh, by how former? Like what age? I don't know, man. You, you, you got it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, like if I was, it's pretty much starting out. A little past starting out. Um, I guess when I was younger, like when I was a teenager, I used to take care of my mental health more when I was a teenager. Uh, and in college and just kind of, I should have addressed that a lot younger. I think it took some years that could have been productive off my life just being depressed and stuff like that like so fucking true that dude yeah holy shit luckily i'm in a much better place now like you know being in in a stable situation having a place to live having my bunny having Lindsay, and you know having my career be somewhat where i want it to be and like i've been in a very good place mentally but as a teenager it was super rough for me oh yeah dude so i think that i would just if I could go back to being like 14, I'd be like, I wish I could just be like with me for a couple of months. Be like, we're going to get you the help you need, get you on the right yeah, track. Yeah, and yeah. then like, cause like I probably would have done 
more things at a younger age that would have been more focused and less. Dude, I feel that so much, man. Yeah, especially I, like one hundred percent. That's that's wild, actually. I like I connect with that so deeply, dude. <laughs> like I I spend so much time just being like, I'm so sad, and like. I had a lot of shit staring, like basically yelling in my face, like, Hey, you can do this and, and have a lot of shit go well. And I was like, did you mean not do that? I'm, uh, I'm yeah. very, I'm very grateful though. I have like, and this is something that I'm super grateful for is that like, as much as like when I was an adolescent, like, and into my early twenties, like things were really rough in here. I always had very loving parents that cared about me. and. Luckily now I have a very, I have a lot of friends that I genuinely think are, are my friends that care about me. Like, you know, I have people there. So I have a good support system for that. And I have that to say, it's important. Yeah. I have to say that honestly, it's been a couple of years since I've been like legitimately like have episodes of like depression and stuff like that. But you know, like that's also because I have my situations changed a lot, but like, yeah. but that being said, like I'll never not, forget the fact that when I was 18, I got like, you know, I went and checked myself into a place because of that shit. And that kind of, yeah, yeah. that kind of shit is just important to talk about. And I think that a lot of musicians, you know, and that's why I have no problem talking about it because I think musicians, every single one I've met has something. Yeah. There's something there that's just either a little off or a little sad or big off or big sad or whatever, some kind of trauma or whatever. And I think the only thing I would give, if I like, hope, like, I wish that like I had grown up in 2020 in the sense that like now we take depressed teens way more seriously. Yes. You know, we, we like care about them. And like one of the things, if I'm ever a dad, like I'm going to be like, if I start seeing that shit in a kid, I'll be like, what can we do to like not make you feel this way? And I'm not saying that sadness isn't a part of the thing, but like depression that lasts years. Like that shit. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, because I tell like people, I go, like, you know, from the time I was like 14 to 19, like five years, like every day, just, that was just the base level was just feeling awful for five years. And I think that if I could go back and be like, all right, we're going to get you the help so you have a normal adolescent. And in a way, it's not that I'm grateful for it because I mean, it, was what drove me that anger and that sadness was what drove me to practice and to try yeah. to be like, I need to escape. I'll practice because I can make my life different from what I have. But at the same time, there's also the residual damage of that that takes time to heal. And you can avoid all that and still do great things and just be kind of at a base level of okay. So I think that would be like, I yeah. think it's a good advice I'd give myself because I think there's a lot of people that, you know, this is much more common than people think. And uh, I think that that would be the one thing is that don't just put everything into base and try and push through a lot of these issues. Like yeah. try and just get help for a lot of these things when you're younger. Yeah. So luckily now that I'm 32, these aren't issues I deal with anywhere near as much as when I was younger. But it would have been nice to have been like a stable 19 <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I I I feel that, man. I feel like it would be helpful to have somebody just be like, "Hey, you can actually change this and it's 
it's not that hard. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? No. Like if somebody could just kind of like Kool-Aid man in and just be like, just, it, this isn't forever, dude. And then the Kool-Aid man back out. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Or just like, like I would have like, loved like, to. Oh shit. Yeah. yeah. Like, like a sophomore in high school when I was like dealing with stuff and like, you know, sucking it, asking girls out and stuff like that. I would have just yeah. loved for him to just like sit with me for like a month and be like, all right, we're going to get your shit together. We're going to, I'm going to get you out of this fucking shitty mind frame. And like, yeah. we're going to like scruff you up and be like, Hey, you know, and also like, you know, like all the like self-esteem things that you're dealing with in your head that aren't really there. Like, like the saddest thing happened the other day. So like, um, I looked at a picture of myself when I was 15 and when I was 15, I thought I was the ugliest dude on the planet. Like I just I was like, I'm an ogre. And then, like, I forget, like, it was, like, something with like, some girl or whatever from was like, oh, yeah, man, you were adorable back in high school. You just hated yourself too much. And I'm, like, and I'm just, like, no! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I just remember that being, like, sick. <laughs> yep. Yep. But, yeah, like, I, I think it's important to talk about those things. So, like, luckily, you know, things are we're doing good and you know like that's the only thing uh and things are good i'm glad to hear it dude yeah i'm glad you look you look like you're doing good too man yeah man i'm fucking i'm living in baltimore city and paying rent with music and that's that's the dream man yeah man and i love photos of you and maggie and the doggo yeah yeah we're we're having a good time man yeah as, as best we can in these crazy times but i think that a lot of yeah. our friends are being very perseverant through this. And it's really good to see all the musicians, like definitely not like rolling up and giving up, especially with the touring thing. Like, you know, yes. these type of things are good to like keep the communication lines going and to, um, you know, just have kind of that outlet for people to talk about art and to talk about music and like, you know, the reality of just being in these situations. And I think that, um, one thing I'm looking forward to, man, is if this shit does get, like, cause my, a good friend of mine, so some light at the end of the tunnel, a good friend of mine works in at Dartmouth Medical School, so I get all my information on them from all this stuff. Oh, okay. it, it looks like there might possibly be a vaccine available by as early as November. So if that's the case... Wow, that's soon. So, yeah, but that's way better because, like, I was hearing people be like, oh, yeah, no live concerts till 2022, and I'm like, we can't. Oh, easily. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if that's the case, that won't be the case for live concerts, because if that's like that, it'll bend it enough and be a treatment for enough people that, you know, venues can reopen and hopefully by the spring we'll be touring. So hopefully this is just this year that is a hit and, uh, you know, yeah, and that we just release a lot of cool music. I think that right now is the time to just be like, well, let's just write and release some shit and do as much as we can with our computers and. And I think that in a weird way, as fucked up as this is, is like it'll be really good for live music when it comes back. Because I hate to say it, people are going to go to shows because they're going to be so like, oh my god, oh, I, yeah. I actually like didn't realize how much I took this for granted. And now when bands come in, I'm going like, we're definitely doing that. And also like, people are going to be like, am I staying home on Friday night? No, I did that for five months last year. Fuck this. <laughs> yeah, I'm going. Yeah, yeah. I'll go see. I'll go see a guy play a fucking kazoo in a toilet. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, I want to see that. Fuck. Yeah. Uh, all right. All right. 
I'm running low on time, so I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you with uh, our kind of ending stuff. Yeah. We already were getting to the ending stuff, but do you have any uh, words of wisdom for for people following in your footsteps? Um, adaptation is everything. Uh, networking is everything, and my biggest one is that you will need things from people. And don't be afraid to ask that. But at the same time, you must also be giving as much as you're asking from people. So when you need something, it's it's okay. You're not a selfish person being like, hey, I need you to make a video for me. I need you to record me, whatever. But never take advantage of people. And always, for every time you ask for something, give something in return. And always be fair with that. And just kind of be optimistic without being naive and don't be pessimistic because at the end of the day shit does happen it just you have to be patient and the other thing too is patience in all capital letters yeah tattooed on your fucking forehead and then the inside of your eye that's the other thing yeah like dude one thousand god tier next level buddhist monk level patience yeah. Dude, that's some fucking real good advice, man. Thanks. That's some real solid stuff. Do you have any general words of wisdom? Um just for for living. <laughs> well, it's the same thing. Like everything's about adaptation. Take care of your mental health. Try and be as considerate to other people as you can. But at the same time, stick up for yourself and, and voice when things are bullshit. And so it's a, it's a balance. You want to be a good person and you want to be generous with people, but at the same time, don't be afraid to call out bullshit and to stand up for yourself, especially when yeah. you're younger because society trains younger people. And to a certain extent, it's true is that you're on the bottom of the totem pole, which yeah, like people get places by paying their dues and everything. But that also doesn't mean that you need to take harassment or abuse and, people stealing from you or things that are total bullshit. You know what I mean? So like learn your worth, be humble, you know, like also, especially in music, dude, like that's the one thing that's funny about it is that like, it's funny when I meet people that are like arrogant musicians because I'm just like the world, don't be wrong. Like people care, but the world doesn't give a shit. You're good at guitar. <laughs> yeah, dude. So like in, in the words, like just be like, Hey man, just just deal with it. Like, you know, like just try and be like a fun person to be around as much as you can and just learn from your mistakes. Like everyone's good. You're going to fuck up at any point. You, you know, you're going to do something stupid on tour. You're going to do something stupid at a gig. You're going to fuck up. You're going to not know how to do a thing and just kind of just take everything as a learning experience. I guess that would be it. Yeah. Yeah. I think know your worth is like super important words of wisdom there because i feel like it's really easy for that to go in both directions yeah where like you know you'll so you'll see people who are valuing themselves way 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 higher than they need to be yeah uh and then the people who i've kind of come to find have more value are devaluing the hell out of themselves yeah, so. man. And it, that has a lot to do also with the fact that our system trains people, especially in the arts. We bludgeon people with this whole, like, you aren't important to society. 
thing. Yeah. And so weird. Everybody thing, like, hates hearts, man. Yeah, but that's the thing. <laughs> until moments like this where everyone cannot get enough music, television, whatever, because it keeps people sane. And that's why I tell people, like, yeah, you can look down on musicians, but guess what? It's what keeps people sane. It's what prevents people from not fucking shooting themselves up and fucking work or fucking, you know, they say it. People, music has stopped millions of people from committing suicide. Um, yeah. From fucking movies have inspired people to do things, you know, and like we, again, like I, I remember once it was really kind of awesome, like, because I'm a big supporter of like Hollywood and like film and stuff like that, you know, like the industry as a whole for what it creates and art, the people it supports. And it's like, it was like sometime during the recession, he goes, like, you know what? All these people hate on like, actors and shit like that like fuck you hollywood employs every single type of person from carpenters to screenwriters to lighting people to engineers yeah. to stunt people he was like and we make people happy when shit's bad so he goes like and we make money for people and keep people employed and he goes like music's the same way man like you know like maybe not directly but like music and everything that it does like all the people at nam that have jobs because people give a shit about bands all the yeah, distributors yeah, that yeah. do it all the venues all the fucking you know, people that, all that, and just in general, there's music everywhere, you know, and um, it just sucks because we kind of live in a society that I think that the rock and roll generation made an image of people to think that music is kind of a, not a real job. But I think that that's, yeah. I think that's changing now because we don't have that whole, the manager will clean up the hotel room. Everyone, especially under a certain age that, that had to, grind in the post-label days you know it's no longer utopia it's mad max a little bit it's it's much better than it was but when i started this shit dude no one had an answer everything was up in the air so but the one thing i know is i every one of my friends like this is something i'll say and you're included in this every single person i know in bands that didn't have their parents like you know just give them money to do it but everyone that's hustled that's gone on a tour everyone I've yet to meet a single coward. Every single one of the people that does the hustle thing, he's a fucking, he's a brave person because you're doing something in a, in a, in a market in niche musical genres that takes like the hardest ability of concentration and years of training for so little musical payoff because like everyone there has like metaphorical brass balls. And I respect every single, (laughs) no, for real, dude. Like, honestly, like, I was remember, like, we were talking. I remember it was so funny, dude. Uh, last little anecdote was uh, we went out to dinner with Ola Strandberg. Now, so Ola, uh, sweetheart. Um, but Ola used to, like, design, like, medical equipment and then the luthier and stuff like that. So he's had, like, a pretty normal life in the sense. Like, he's never done the touring thing. And I remember, like, me and Longfield were, like, shooting the shit, eating hot pot, and just talking about, like, you know, neo-Nazis, like, coming to the show and, like, just, like, the insane shit that people don't hear about and just like, oh yeah, like the times that we almost died and shit and just Ola's eyes just got bigger and bigger and just like, what the fuck? And he's like, oh yeah, dude, <laughs> this shit is some fucking Wild West fucking shit. And so like... Hate burger, dude. <laughs> dude. So I think everyone that just keeps doing this and even if you like whatever level you're on, if you keep making music and you put out art and you're just grinding at it, even if it's not going to be what you do with the rest of your life, if you're just in it, if your feet are in the pool, you're not a coward, in my opinion. I think that. Yeah. Truth. Were you there with us on the the fucking? Was that the Laddermath tour where we went to Hate Burger? 
sounds slightly familiar. The murder junkies. Yes, that was there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that was poor Lee was freaking the fuck out in the van, and justifiably so. Yeah, like he had every right to be, and then all of a sudden, like I didn't go back in there. I'll just never forget because you realized how serious it was, and you were TMing. And like the second we were done, you're like, we're loading out now. Everyone grab something. <laughs> yep. We are loading out now. Like just like in all and like, you know, you love goofing around. And the look on your face is like, I wish I was joking right now. I'm being very deadly serious that so we need to get our <laughs> yeah, We need to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dude, I remember yeah. that promoter was such a dick too. Like uh, everything about that night was just like, it was shot and cringy. Dude, I thought I was going to get the shit beat out of me by the sound guy. Like, as I was explaining, I was like, yeah, we have, like, backing tracks and stuff. And, like, yeah, dude, he was so unfriendly. DI amps. He was so unfriendly. He was just, I was just watching him just. Hate you. Just, like, the smile was fading from his face. And he was frowning more. And his eyes were filling with more fire. Like, it was, it was so Dude, much I remember, better. no, with Lattermouth, we had to do a Raw Dog set because we didn't have time to oh, set up our backing right. tracks. So we just, I mean, we, we luckily didn't sound bad. But, like, we have production backing tracks to help with the, with the yeah. atmosphere of it and backup harmonies for Eli. And we did a Raw Dog set because that guy was plug in, get the fuck started. I don't even think he DI'd my bass amp, dude. I think it was just stage volume. Yeah. I'm like 85% sure that's what happened. He just didn't even bother to give me like an XLR. And then of course the fucking murder junkie showed up and then that was a hoot. <sighs> Throwing vomit and shit. And yeah, when I they, they were, they were like saying anti-Semitic shit, right? Oh yeah. Like just really fucked up stuff. There was like yeah. legitimate neo-Nazis there. And so I tell people like, Oh, what's the worst thing you ever happened? He's like, uh, Nazis. And then people yeah. were like, and I'm like, you're joking, right? And I'm like, no, I, I really am not. <laughs> Dude, I'm stoked that we didn't get like green roomed like that movie. Yeah, dude. It was funny because someone was mentioning that movie and I was like, oh yeah, that's definitely like kind of happened to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Luckily not quite with the murder and all that. Oh yeah, yeah, no, no. They but, are murder junkies. So yeah. you never know. Also like it was <laughs> one thing we are not telling the listeners. It was in like deep mississippi too so it wasn't even yeah it was like in the middle of like where like the cops would probably not do shit (laughs) (laughs) hate burger baby hate burger mississippi all right dude well funny enough actually uh this is such an interesting spot to end i've gotta go (laughs) no worries man thank you fucking so much hey man thank you so much for having me and doing this uh killian Duarte. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank Killian you so much. Duarte. Uh, what's your what's your shit at Killian Base or something? Right. And so it's on Instagram is where I post the most. It's Killian Duarte Base at uh, on Instagram, and then um, for those of you who know my bands, Abiotic, Scale the Summit, My Messes, Ladder Math, and uh, yeah, check those out. Uh, new Scale the Summit record coming out, hopefully in the next few months. And then a new abiotic record, hopefully in the fall. So lots of music this year. So fingers crossed that Ooh. we get the vinyls in because the Scale Summit record's done. We have music videos and everything done. We're just waiting oh, on the vi- vinyls and a guitar. That's what we're waiting on. The vinyls got delayed nice. because of COVID. So fingers crossed. Yeah. Dude, sick, man. Well, thank you again. Uh, until next time.
Love you, BB. Thanks everybody for listening. Dreams and discourse. Uh, high five your your dad. High five your dad. Or or anyone. High five somebody. Uh, and we'll catch you uh, next time. Yay! Right here, same same time, same place. No established time or place, but same time, same place. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Bye bye.